0: Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of our History of Gear series, we talk with Kevin Brown, the Heritage and Archives lead at W.L. Gore & Associates. We talk about the importance of corporate archives, how they are formed, and how they are utilized. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase. Um, joining me today is Kevin Brown, leader of Heritage and Archives um, at WL Gore & Associates. Thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great to talk to you. We've, we've talked... Um, once before uh just really about archiving in general especially for the outdoor industry and and i think your journey into this field is is really interesting i wanted to learn a little bit more about how you got into it um it seems like there's typically a clear path for people who want to get into museum curation and in work in archives but i feel like not as clear of a path if you want to work in corporate archives maybe there is um (laughs) but i kind of want to dive into that um Considering in the outdoor industry, there's not there's not a lot of trained archivists. You know, in most cases, it's someone who's been at the company for a long time, um, who just knows the materials, and has you know maybe it's it's part of their job or maybe it's a side project for them. Um, few companies have someone like yourself um, or you know a team that's dedicated to preserving um, the history and heritage heritage of the company. So it's it's always interesting to learn about the origins of your position and, and also your interests and how you, how you came into this space. So um, maybe to step back, what led you to um, kind of museum curation archival work? How did you get interested in that as, as, um, as a, you know, a career?
1: Yeah. So uh, that's a good question. So um, I mean, going back, I th- I think um, I was really pretty heavily influenced by some uh, teachers of mine, um, history teachers of mine back in in high school, really. So I knew going into college, um, I wanted to pursue history as, as a degree. Um, and as I was going through you know, my undergraduate work, um, you know, the, the academic side of history was very interesting to me, but I particularly, I took a, a, a couple of classes in material culture um, and archaeology, and I did some archaeology work, um, and I, I really became interested in um, sort of the, the public history side and, and the history of objects and things and, and human experience, as opposed to maybe some of the more academic um ideas about, you know, social, cultural issues and, and things like that at, at a very high level, sort of more political type of history. Um, and so I took a gap year between my undergraduate and graduate um, school work, uh, and I worked for an archaeology firm doing historic archaeology for, uh, there were a um, cultural resources management firm in Westchester, Pennsylvania. and. Um, and through doing that work, I kind of realized, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into archaeology or if I wanted to kind of have my options open and, and move more into the public history space, museum space. So when I went to the University of Delaware and um, their master's program for uh, U.S. history, um, they also have um, a really good museum studies certificate program at the graduate level. Um, I think it was... it. One of the first, if not the the first in the in the nation, actually, when it was founded, um, and so I did that and in conjunction with my my um, history degree. I did the museum study certificate, which included you know internships at, at a museum, um, you know, sort of practical classes about curatorship or collections management, um, things like that. Um, and so I graduated with my master's in in two thousand nine, um, which was rather difficult year to be graduating and looking for a job, particularly in the public history field. Um, but I, um, I actually kind of lucked out. So I, I had been, in terms of becoming a corporate archivist, um, I sort of fell into it. So I had been working um, at the Winterthur Museum in Northern Delaware. Um, that was sort of a year contract. My internship as part of the Museum Studies Program sort of fed into that. Uh, my contract was ending, and so um, I didn't have a lot of other job prospects, so I wound up getting an internship as a uh, processing archivist for six months at Hagley uh, Museum and Library, uh, which is you know right down the road from Win- Winterthur, also in northern Delaware. And Hagley particularly specializes in uh, the history of business and technology and and industry. So the bulk of their uh, archives and manuscript collections are um, company history related, business history related, things of that nature. And so I was working on a collection there and I happened to meet um, a gentleman from from Gore, he was an associate from Gore, who had recently started up the archive there at at Gore. And um, they were looking for somebody um, and he was doing a, just a volunteer day there at Hagley working on one of their collections. Um, and I, I met him, I was introduced to him and um, I really just kind of fell into it in a way and, uh, and came into it that way.
0: That, that seems, uh, similar in that, um, most career paths, you know, into the outdoor industry or, you know, follow that, you know, that, that um, I don't know, just, there, it's not a clear path right into the outdoor industry. most people seem to fall into it um, mm-hmm. and especially in the archives space it's it's that's a less clear path it seems like than than most um what what's been the main difference you've noticed so far we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit um, what's what's been the biggest difference working in a corporate archive versus an, you know a museum or um, a, a university collection
1: um I'd say one of the the biggest differences is who your audience is, so I know um, and again, the my sort of professional archive experience, like working in an in archive was fairly limited, and I was doing processing work and whatnot. but I know it you know in general in a lot of academic archives you get to know the collection really, really well. You know the materials you have, and you know, you're a key resource for a researcher who's coming in. They have a research question. They have a project they're working on, and they rely on that archivist to, to know what's in their collections that would be relevant to you and to, to pull the information and basically give you all the raw materials that you need to do your research. In the corporate world, it's a little bit different because the people that come to you with research questions, they're not the ones doing the research. They're you do the research for them. So you not only have to know your collections inside and out and know what you've got, um, but you also have to be the historical researcher synthesize everything together, um, you know, summarize it, give, and then basically produce sort of a package of material for them. that They can just go ahead and and use right away. Um, So I think that's, you know, one key difference that I've, I've noticed. Um, And the other thing is also just the the purpose of it. Um, You know, the, the archives at Gore were an internal archive and it's designed, um, for various to meet various business needs and to support various business needs. So, um, the kinds of things, so we, we tend to get asked for um, for very specific things like quotes from our founders or fact checking for, you know, some kind of a press release or, you know, things like that that are, um, less, broadly um, analytical in nature and, and, it, and it, you don't necessarily have the, the big research questions um, that you might in, in an academic have. Not that we don't do some of that um, on our own and, and pull some of that together um, but it is definitely a, a, a different perspective and I think one of the other I don't want to say challenges but things that we need to be cognizant of too is part of our role of also to advise the associates and, and at Gore that come to us um, looking for things to, to dig a little deeper and find out what exactly do they need and, and why do they need it. Because you know, someone could come to you and say, hey, I need a quote from Bill Gore, our founder, Uh, around such and such a theme or such and such a topic. And, you know, we might find some and they say, hey, this is really good, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit, you know, just to make sure it really fits what we're doing. And we kind of have to, you know, they're they're not historical researchers, they're not historians, and we kind of have to, you know, advise them on what's the proper way to apply this history? Because we want to make sure that this is, you know, genuine, that we don't treat it disingenuously. Uh, And I know we at Gore believe uh, very much so that, you know, even though we're... You know a, a corporate archive, um, and we do use the archives in a way to promote different things about war publicly. We want it to be genuine. It's not. It's not the company's propaganda. Um, so there is a bit of that kind of role in it as well. Right. What What is it
0: about primary documents? objects, what is it about these materials that's really caught your attention? I I feel like I've caught a little bit of that bug working um, with our own archive here at the university um, and seeing, you know, really interesting print materials come into the collection that we're now preserving. There's something about, um, you know, finding a donor who sends you a a material, like some material um, that was in a box previously um, in someone's basement or in a closet. And now it's preserved at the university, um, and and you can then you know preserve it and help um, you know other researchers or whoever, whoever's going to study and use that material, then make it available for more people. Um, for me, I've kind of caught that bug, that interest in um, you know the primary documents. There's there's you know such valuable resources. What is it about you know primary documents, um, objects? What is it that that's caught your attention? or caught your interest.
1: Yeah. So, so for me, and this, I mean, goes back even to, you know, the times when I was you know, working in archeology span as well, there's a, there's a tangibility to it that I really like, you know, the idea that you know, here, you're holding something that somebody who's, you know, long gone has, you know, interacted with, you know, in some way. And it a lot of times it tends to speak more to their everyday life than to something, you know, more abstract like ideas or abstract ideas or things like that. Um, now, Gore Gore is a much younger company, so it's it's not necessarily that profound in terms of hey, this is something that someone 300 years ago was you know interacting with, but there's still that tangible interaction with it and that tangible connection to the past that um, I've always appreciated by having um, by having that in front of me. In fact, it's funny because you know now even in terms of our marketing materials, so much of it is born digital, and you know, we're trying to figure out you know, how do we best um, preserve all these digital, um, documents and their primary sources too. And they're, they're important and they're, they're great and we need them. But there's, there's a part of me that's just like, ah, I wish it was, you know, in my hand that I could actually hold it and feel it. Cause for me that, that makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely feels different. We've been working with some different donors on collecting, um, you know, some, uh, corporate um, well, some letters between companies um, and it's got company letterhead on it and it's got, got someone's signature at the bottom. You just don't get that in an email. I mean, you, you do, but it just doesn't feel the same. And, and there's still a need to preserve um, you know, those digital archives. And there's kind of an added layer, added challenge, I imagine for you uh, to do that. I, I imagine that's an interesting part of your role is while well, you're actively collecting I imagine uh, print print materials that are out there I'm sure you're always looking for for items um, you also have to preserve everything that the company is producing and and I'm curious how do you how do you do that how do you and maybe you're still figuring some of that out as well but um, what is it like to be managing the collection you already have while also trying to bring in print materials? Um, as well as trying to preserve things digitally, um, what what does that process look like for you? You know, actively going out and trying to uh, collect as well as preserve digital collections.
1: Yeah, so it's um, I mean you're right, it's it's difficult, <laughs> and we are still still learning uh, at this point. Um, you know, one of the issues that we have and is a goal for us is you know the the archives are only as good as the materials that that come to us and. At Gore, currently, um, we don't really have a set process. We're not in anyone's process tree for things to necessarily funnel to us automatically. So a lot of it is us having to reach out specifically to ask for for materials, ask people to, to give us stuff. So that's, so that's one problem is that we don't necessarily know what all is out there in our different businesses and different divisions. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, – what we have done is um, especially kind of reaching out to marketing folks and things like that and, and you know they have their um, digital asset management systems where they have you know their advertising literature and, and things like that that they can send to us and then we sort of keep it in a, in a really sort of right now it's it's network folders and we're we're figuring out better ways of, of handling it so then we can take them into our collections uh, management system. Um, but then some of it is also, you know, it, emails come across. So emails from our CEO or, you know, something very important. Um, and it, it's on us. We take the proactive measure of just, hey, I'm going to just save a PDF of this and put it in our system. Um, and then the, you know, the, the donor of record, there is no real donor of record. It's just kind of a, we would call it an archive acquisition. Um, And so a lot of it is just, it's, it's that way. So we're still trying to figure out what a a formal process for doing that um, would be, but there is a a big part of me that, um, so for instance, with all of this um, COVID-19 stuff going on, you know, the company obviously has puts out a lot of communications to the associates and policies and procedures to keep the associates safe. And, you know, here's what the company is doing and all that stuff. And so, you know, trying to, keep track of all that stuff and capturing all that stuff because this is a major historic moment, not, you know, for Gore, obviously for the whole world too, but, um, you know, see how Gore is responding to it internally. So we're, we're trying to capture all of that stuff as it happens. Um, and at this point we, we don't have a real process for it other than let's get it while well, we we've got it, we'll stick it in a folder and then we'll, we'll figure out how we want to process that sort of digital collection later. But there's a big part of me that also just wants to at some point print all of it out, put it in the archive, <laughs> the acid free folders in those archival boxes. So we have them because, you know, just again, going back to that physical collection, I mean, that would probably, most people probably think that that is a waste of time, waste of paper, waste of resources. And, you know, it may be, we may not do that, but um, yeah, I think that the digital thing is something that we're still grappling with and, and feeling secure in maintaining and preserving those digital collections.
0: I, I, I imagine that's a challenge that a lot of the companies that, that have an archivist are, are facing right now. Um, it's like, how do we, how do we collect and how do we preserve those digital assets? And, and I think it would be a great topic. We've, I think we've talked briefly about some kind of conference of sorts that's focused on outdoor industry, um, history and, and, uh, archival work. Um, I think that'd be an interesting topic for, for archivists to get together to talk about, okay, you know, in this new age, how do we preserve um, all these materials that we're producing every day in a digital format? Um, You know, it'd be interesting to see who else is doing it. Um, You know, who's, who's thinking about that? Like you are, and, and what are the processes that exist? Um, You know, I imagine that Nike, Levi, some of these, these uh, companies that have been doing archiving for a while have, Maybe they've dabbled in that. Maybe they've got a process down and, and, and there's some lessons to be learned there. So uh, de- definitely something that I'd be interested in learning more about. But um, I, I think what you mentioned about, you know, collecting, especially in this age of COVID, um, this kind of, this really historic, significant moment that we're in, um, most companies are just in panic mode, right? And And not to say that Gore isn't in a, you know, in, in a similar situation, right. Just trying to figure out how to navigate this. I I see that as really being one of the true benefits of having a dedicated team that's actively protecting, preserving the history of the company, because when something like this is going on or just everyday work life, um, you know, your designer, your developer, your, you know, whoever it is in their role, just doesn't, just can't be thinking about, preserving these materials for the future. Right. Um, they're actively working on their day to day and their, you know, um, full-time role. Um, so I think, I don't know if you can, you can speak to this, but, um, I think the current moment, um, I think really emphasizes the value of, of having someone in your position, having a team, um, established, um, because while everyone else is, is scrambling just to keep things going, um, you've got a team that can be there, you know, stepping back and, and saying, this is a moment. We need to do everything that we can to, to, um, you know, preserve what we can. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but I, that just kind of hit me. It seems especially relevant. Um, you know, in this moment. Um, yeah. What, what,
1: what, yeah. are your thoughts there? Yeah. So I, I completely agree with you. And, and actually, um, you know, I should say that our collecting of all that materials was, um, you know, obviously something that we had wanted to do, um, but it wasn't just us. So we, um, the Heritage and Archives team actually exists within the um, broader corporate communications team. Uh, and of course, corporate communications has been you know, heavily involved in managing a lot of the different communications regarding our response to to the pandemic and whatnot. And so they actually, have um, members of that team approached us and we, we worked with them on on this as well tracking the the communications and preserving them and saving them, um, you know, so that, you know, going forward, we know what our response was. And if there's a, a crisis in the future, there's some, you know, even if it's not the same thing as a pandemic, it could be, you know, whatever it is, um, we have some knowledge or some precedent for, okay, here's how we organized. Here's, here are the teams that were pulled together. Here are the different functions that we needed um, to be able to address a particular issue. And, and here's how we can, learn from that so the fact that Gore recognized that and Gore saw us as a resource to help them do that um, I think was was really positive um, and that was you know, certainly beyond just us as archivists realizing that you know this is historically significant we should we should capture it um, I think you know even prior to um, the archives being formed and I imagine this is probably the same in a lot of companies especially companies that don't have archives uh, you might have those key individuals who may have been with the company for a long time and, you know, they've got stuff stashed away in their, their drawers, or maybe on their, um, their network drives or whatever. Um, and that, that information may exist somewhere. It may live somewhere, but you have to go to 10 different people to find out and go through, you know, this network of people to get the documents that you want. So here, the fact that Gore has an archive, it's, it's good then because then we can, you know, people know the source to go to. They have a, you know, one person to say, Hey, do you have the materials related to our, our response for COVID or, you know, or whatever, whatever it might've been in the past. Um, so just that, that efficiency that that brings, um, for the organization, I think is, is really valuable and really important too.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I've, I've felt this as an amateur, archivist um obviously i don't have any of the formal training and we we have a university archivist who has that training and and i've been assisting him in in finding um materials to be added to our outdoor recreation archive at the university that we've been growing um but i even feel it within myself kind of this a a little like a a constant dread a, a constant anxiety that we're not finding materials that that are out there and and there's there's kind of this this um there's a timer going off in the in the back of my head that oh we've got to find these materials because they're not going to be around forever um but i don't know entirely what all of those materials are kind of like you said right um, there 's materials out there, but you don 't know where they are, and maybe you don 't even know what those materials might be, but you know that there 's there 's materials out there to be collected or oral histories to be gathered um, that that 's kind of where I am with with our collection is I know that there 's material to be collected, um, but i don 't know where to find it in in some cases um, and there 's just kind of constantly this this uh, timer in the back of my head. Um, you're kind of fighting that I imagine it's like when, when it comes to collecting and, and, you know, on the oral history side, making sure that you gather histories from people, you know, from the early days of the company or, or, you know, that there's, there's print materials out there that, that early employees have, but you just don't know how to get a hold of them or find them. Or, um, is that something that you run into? How do you, how do you balance that? So you don't go crazy thinking about all the materials that you don't have, um, Cause you already have a plenty of materials to manage as it is, but um, I'm sure you're always thinking about how do we continue to grow the collection, make it more valuable.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely always a, a challenge and always a, a, you know, a thought process. Um, I think no matter how comprehensive your collection is, it can always be more comprehensive <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you know what the white spots are and you can, figure out a way to like a targeted way to go and, and fill those spots. And other times you don't, and you may not be, be aware of it. We've generally been fairly lucky um, up to now at, at Gore. Um, Gore is a, a relatively young company. It's just over 60 years old. Um, it started in 1958 and um, Gore has a, a bit of it, certainly for its day, um, a bit of a unique corporate culture um, that I think has contributed to a lot of Long-term associates and, and long tenure, um, and so even when I started uh, at Gore back in 2009, you know, there were still a lot of people working at Gore that were here in the 60s and the 70s, and you know they had the firsthand knowledge, and and they saved stuff, they had materials that they could could pass on, uh, and we could talk to them, we could do you know oral histories, um, and even though many of them have retired, you know a lot of them still have connections to the company, like they may still have friends that work here or, you know, there's ways of getting in, in touch with them. Um, so, you know, we do have some of those avenues open to us, but that's, that's a lot of work <laughs> and there's a lot of people to track down and you, know, you can only focus on, you know, that our Fabris collection is only one slice of, of the archives and according to so many other things, you know, trying to manage all that material for all the different divisions um, globally, not even just in the United States, but across the world. It's hard, and you start to think. You know, when I started, it was just shortly after a 50th anniversary. Now we're just over a 60th anniversary, and you know, the, the older work gets, in some ways, the the younger it gets in terms of institutional knowledge. And so we do have to kind of, you know, figure out, okay, how do we and we grab that knowledge while we can, while it's still there, because we have the benefit of the fact that the company not 200 years old, we, we might still have access to a lot of those people that were there. Um, and they may still have stuff hidden away in their attics or their garages or, or whatever. Um, so this is something we think about and, and we've done some work towards that in terms of reaching out to people, doing oral histories, um, and, and that sort of thing, um, But it does always weigh in your your mind. There's only so many hours in the day. You you have to prioritize it. And like you said, we do have, like most archives, a lot of backlog materials we already have that we have to process. So how do you balance all that? And how do you capture stuff now while it's accessible when, you know, five years from now, maybe it's less accessible. Right. So... I'm not sure if that really answers your question, other than I agree with you. It's, yeah, well, it's a well it, you you kind of
0: asked another question right there at the end that I was that was leading me into. But how do you balance that, right? I guess um, how would you break down? I guess you know every week I imagine is very different um, depending on what's coming in, what requests that you know have, you know from the team are being asked of you. But how would you break down um, kind of the workload? Is it um, you know how would you break down Managing the existing collection versus processing new materials versus um, you know fielding requests from from the team. What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, so it's there it, it is tough because I mean there's I'm the the only full time archivist with the company, and then we have a part time archivist working with us. Um, historically, typically we've had sort of two part time and, and one full time uh, associates. Right now, we're you know we're down a little bit. Um, but I would say you know when I think of archives we sort of have two major work streams so there's the archival management piece like you were talking about which is you're processing collections you're developing the collections you're housing them organizing them cataloging them all that kind of day-to-day managing of the the collections and then there's what we would call uh, sort of heritage communications being within the communications team and that's how we're applying these materials to the business, how we're responding to business needs and business requests, and you know, are we putting together exhibits for something, or are we, you know, loading materials out for um, for somebody, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so the the heritage communication piece um, pretty much dominates most of, of what we do in the requests that come in um, because those are obviously the things that have more urgency. There's deadlines involved and, you know, we have to respond to them. Um, of course, the, it makes it easier to respond to them if we've got more of our collections processed. <laughs> so it is this kind of constant tension and constant battle. So one of the goals that we had started um, last year, we were really going to kind of try to hit it this year, but of course things you know, best laid plans, I think for everybody yeah. um, was to really sort of take us, try to take a step back um, and work on more processing, really kind of get um, the collections organized and, and focus on the, the management piece. Um, so we're still kind of figuring a lot of that out. We're actually in the process now of getting a, um, a new collections management um, database uh, collections management system. And so, you know, we're hoping that would certainly help us to be able to feel, field some of these research requests easier and faster so that it could open up some more time for us to get to some of the, the behind the scenes stuff that, that we need to do. But, um, yeah, at the moment, it's a, it, it's a, a real tension. It's, it's hard. It's hard to balance.
0: How, how much of the collection is, I imagine majority is print. Um, but I am sure there's a an object component as well is is that right
1: there is yeah, so we have um, uh, print materials we have objects and audiovisual materials, so mm-hmm. photographs slides uh, and and video audio and video as well. Um, the print material, the document collection um, is by far the largest. Um, but we do have um, a not insignificant um, object collection, um, you know, that we have to deal with. And I would say in terms of the things that are processed and and, and not, our documents are more likely to be processed because they're easier to scan, to OCR, to get to people in, in PDFs um, versus the, the objects are a little less accessible um, for associates. So, um they're sort of less so in terms of uh, what's cataloged, um, and then our our video and slides and photographs and everything are, are a different story. Well, we have we're pretty good on the the photographs that we have, um, in terms of having a fairly representative uh, sampling, um, but video is another beast that <laughs> we're still trying to get our arms around.
0: Well, all of these items require such a um, such a level of care, and and some of them different levels of care, like an object you treat differently than you would a, a photograph or a, a negative. Right. I mean, obviously you, you care for them both, but they need to be preserved in different ways. In it, right. Um, what, what is the facility like where these objects are, are, uh, located?
1: Yeah. So the, um, the archives, um, is located. We have a designated space in one of our um, buildings in Delaware and it's, um, you know, it, it's climate controlled, it's secure access. Um, you know, a lot of the things you typically see, you know, in any archives. Um, we have some, you know, collapsible shelving that, that we put in. Um, and, um, you know, outside of that, you know, we use you know, your, your standard acid-free folders and boxes and, and all that for, the, for our document collection. Um, so... Um, It's as secure a space as we can in terms of just the overall environment. We are fortunate that most of the materials we have, especially anything product related, um, they tend to be modern materials and they tend to be very robust materials. So um, one of the, you know, Gore's core material um, is PTFE or expanded PTFE. So um, PTFE had gone by the DuPont trade name, of Teflon. And then um, expanded PTFE is what um, Bob Gore, the son of our founders had had developed and that's what became Gore-Tex and uh, has enabled us to do lots of different things in many different industries. Um, But one of the key attributes to that material is um, its longevity, it's chemically inert, the the fibers and fabrics in the garment would probably uh, disappear and fade away long before the actual Gore-Tex membrane inside actually Mm. would. Um, So from that standpoint, you know, we don't necessarily have to worry so much about um, like an older collections where you might have old linens that might have a different temperature or humidity requirement or cellulose or something like that that needs like cold storage or, you know, things like that. Um, We can, we have a little bit more leeway to kind of get away with with sort of a singular environment for, for most of our stuff. Um, and that that helps. I mean, we do try to keep um, you know the lights off and you know, prevent light exposure. Keep it cool. Keep it dry. And you know, sort of the the general rule of thumb for for preventative conservation. But um, but generally, you know, we are we are fortunate again that they're the materials are a little bit more modern and, and <laughs> durable.
0: Right. Right. Is is there an object or a, a document or a photo um, that is like the prized possession of the collection? Is there any kind of one item or a collection of items that's like, we're so glad that we have this thing, right? Is, is there anything that jumps out to you like that?
1: it's a good question. And you know, a lot of people ask that question too, like what's hmm. either that or like, what's your favorite object? And, and it's, it's hard to have an answer for that. And I probably should have prepared, prepared for that. Cause I'm not really sure. I mean, I think in, in the different, um, collections that we have in the different divisions, um, you know, it, it, it might be a bit different, but I, I would say, you know, some of the materials related to our founders. So Bill Gore, uh, and B Gore, who founded the company back in 1958, uh, Bill was kind of a, I mean, he was not just a scientist, but he was also a sort of a philosopher of sorts in in terms of uh, organizational hierarchies and how people work together and and that sort of thing. So we have a lot of his original writings um, that we keep. So, you know, we certainly have some documents like that that have um, a special notation in her system, whereas, you know, if there was some kind of a a disaster or something like that, you know, here are some of the the go-to things we need to save. Um, You know, Eve Gore collected everything. I mean, I think she knew what they were starting was special at the beginning, and so she kind of would document a lot of things. So we have a scrapbook that she had put together in the early 60s as, you know, photographs of some of the early associates and, you know, construction on their, their first plant and, you know, things like that. Um, you know, and, that, and that we have kind of tucked away, and that's, that's pretty special to us as well. Um, but even in, in some of the others, uh, the collection specifically, if we're thinking fabrics, you know, we have the uh, sort of the first swatch of Cortex fabric. Um, it was pre-commercialization so from about 1973 that we had sent actually to the, the Natick Labs in Massachusetts um, for, for testing as kind of the first validation, external validation of this idea that a fabric could be both waterproof and breathable at the same time. Um, and so that actually, the, the, uh, technician or the scientist at Natick that, uh, worked there, he had that in his desk drawer for like 40 years or something like that wow. and returned it to us, you know, you know, several years ago. Mm. Um, and so we, you know, we have that piece, uh, which is nice. So, so for me, I always like that, you know, a lot of people, it's just a, a white swatch of swatch of fabric, but, um, I think it holds a lot of significance as that's kind of like the, the beginning of Cortex Fabric in a way.
0: Well, I imagine, I mean, that example right there is is I think the why behind archiving, right? Is you can have an object that's, you know, a simple square of fabric um, that to most people doesn't have any meaning, right? But um, in the right hands, in the right context with, you know, the full story attached to it, that begins to hold a lot more meaning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, think that's, that's where your work, um, is especially significant, right. Is, I don't know if that's part of your role necessarily to, to, to give meaning to the objects that are there, but maybe put things into context. Um, I, I think we've seen that in our work with the collection is, um, you know, there's, there's materials, there's catalogs that are just floating out there and, and, catalogs in general is kind of what we we have in our collection. Um, And for most people, catalogs have been junk mail for the longest time, right? It's just something that shows up in your mailbox and you throw it away. But once it sits in a university collection, it it develops a value, right? And people realize, oh, there's like some kind of historical significance to this, to this thing that just showed up at my doorstep and I looked at and I tossed, right? Um, So I think that's, I don't know if you have any thoughts there, but I think, um kind of your collection, you know the work that we're doing at the university I think there's there's an opportunity to to you know associate these materials with like a larger story
1: yeah, no, that's definitely something that um, myself and and uh, my colleague Netta in the, the archives that we sort of you know, we do bring a little bit of that kind of academic sense to it where you know there may be people like we're that that don't necessarily care about the the bigger picture or, you know, that, that's nice, but that's not the primary reason why we have you know, a lot of the things that we have. Um, but fortunately, Gore is, um, is, is great in the fact that, you know, we have leeway to do that and have some control over saying, you know, we, we want to preserve these things because they are important, not just to Gore, but, you know, at a societal level. And I think there are, I mean, you know, one of the reasons, you know, why Gore's you know, current, branding, and it really reflects, of course, philosophy all along that um, improving life is because there is sort of this broader context to the things that we do. So I think for me, anytime that we can take a material or an item that we have and put it in a broader context, so, you know, a, a piece of wire that was taken from the run of um, a cable that was used on the Apollo 11 moon landing, you know, that's something that, you know, Gore didn't just supply that wire to a supplier who supplied it to NASA, who put it in in a seismograph for the moon or something like that. Gore, you know, this sort of demonstrate how Gore has helped enable space exploration over time, you know, kind of taking it out further. So we, we do like to try to, to do that and, and kind of make those kinds of broader connections that maybe people might not necessarily take if they're just going in there and looking at this, you know, sort of inconsequential piece of, wire right um and we do sometimes you know we'll have a you know we, we collect a lot of external media about our products and you know we've noticed especially older papers from the 60s or 70s um you know we might have a an article in there that's relevant to us but we'll keep the whole newspaper because for us it's interesting to see you know what else was going on in the world at that time you know well you know here's Slice of course world, and here's how it fit in the rest of the world. I mean, for me, I find it fascinating. Even to just you know, you turn the page and you just see, you know, housing advertisements. You know how much did a house cost in New York, Delaware in 1972, or you know, <laughs> things like that. So definitely, I think having that broader context makes the archives richer, and I think even for the business, um, makes it more important um especially nowadays, you know, when, when businesses, um, you know, people expect and want businesses to sort of have this um, higher calling or, or a philosophy, not to just do, you know, punch out widgets and do things, but to actually um, make an impact and how can you make an impact? And so we can use the archives to kind of show that and show how we've done that um, over time. Um, I think you know, so much the better.
0: Well, it seems like if you can tie... Um, a collection or an object, or if you know some of the materials, um, if you can like tie that to someone at an emotional level, right? They'll engage or they're more likely to engage, right? I, I imagine like a, a past gore associate, right? Um, if you can reach them at an emotional level, they're probably more willing to engage with you and with the collection, or you know, a gore users, right? If you can reach them in that way, or even non gore users, I think um, if you can connect you know, what you do, what the company has done for years to their life, or, you know, even if it's not to their life, to, to something that, um, I don't know, something like the moon landing, right. Um, I, I I think that's where you develop some kind of an emotional reaction, emotional connection to people that maybe will drive engagement or more interest in, in the materials in the future. Um, I imagine that's, I, have you seen some of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think, um, you know, last year with the moon landing, there was the the 15th anniversary of the moon landing that um, the country celebrated. But, um, you know, we participated in a number of different, you know, local efforts um, and, you know, promoted the work that Gore had done in relation to that. It shows an engagement with the associates too, especially new associates. So one of the things that um, we've typically been involved with uh, with new associates, is they there's a day as part of their orientation. They learn about the different corporate functions, and there's sort of this showcase. And um, the communications team is is one of the functions at a showcase that tell you know new associates what you know what we do and how you might interact with us in your in your job. Um, and we've been involved in that, and you know we talk about Gore's history as part of that, and we do sort of show and tell. Um, and I think one of the things that is is great about that is you, know, you can see people have this like aha moment where they're connecting either something that they're about to work on or that they are working on with something bigger than, you know, they would think bigger than themselves or bigger than they would think about. And um, I think it, it, it not only drives engagement within Gore, but it also drives some pride in working for the company too. Um, and I think that's one of the other things that, I really like about it is when you can show somebody, especially someone that works maybe in a different division, maybe they work in industrial filtration or something and they don't really know anything about our, um, you know, fabrics business or something. And then you can bring them into the archives and show them something, you know, really cool from all of our fabrics collections, um, that has some meaning to them. They can make a connection. Um, I think, you know, I think that really helps. And plus I think, especially with our fabrics collection, there's such a, and maybe you found this with, um, other people you've spoken to, but there's such a nostalgia factor in outdoor gear. (laughs) Just sometimes people just going to the archives and seeing all the garments that we have from the seventies and the eighties and everything, there's just kind of an emotional connection right away, just even from their own, their own life. Um, and, and it means something. So,
0: well, I think definitely in the outdoor industry, because some of the, a lot of, I guess the true outdoor people, the original, um, you know, out, outdoor products users, um, I think a lot of them prob- probably still have some of their early gore stuff, right? I, I think outdoor um, people in the outdoor industry traditionally, uh, you know, are are trying to be more sustainable and and they want gear that will last and they want something that's of good quality. And, and gore has been making that for a long time. And so I imagine, um, you know, for a lot of those people uh, – you know, they could probably come into the collection and say, Oh, I, I still have mine. You know, I'm still Mm -hmm. trying to treat it and keep it, keep it up and, um, you know, functioning. Um, so I, I imagine that's what you, you'd see. Um, you know, there's, there, there is just such a nostalgia factor, um, for, for the outdoor, um, um, just the outdoor community. But, um, you know, we've kind of gone this whole time and I haven't even really asked about the origins of the formal archive. um, you know, we've been talking about it as if it's really existed, um, you know, since the beginning of the company, but I think, you know, with it being created formally at the 50th anniversary, right. Um, it, I mean that, that couldn't have happened without, um, Bill and Viv kind of having this, um, it sounds like a dedication to, to, um, like at least documenting what was going on. Maybe not. It, it sounds like there was a pretty comprehensive, um, materials from that time and and they seem to both be really good about documenting things um you know what what was kind of the origin of i'm sure the 50th anniversary played played a big part in the creation of the formal archive but can you speak to um you know why the company felt like that was important to create a a formal archive at that time
1: sure yeah so um yeah i mean I, i think it's pretty common for a lot of companies um if they start a formal archive program, it typically happens in conjunction with an anniversary right. um and so gore is certainly not unusual on that aspect um, but I think one of the things that you know helped with Gore is you know, the, the, the gore is the founders bill and b you know, they they had passed before the archives was founded he passed in nineteen eighty six she passed in, in two thousand and five um but of course their their children and now grandchildren you know are still very much involved in, in the company and um so Gore, the sometimes it was a very fine line between Gore the company and and, and Gore the family. I mean, uh, Mrs. Gore, Eve Gore, she would say Gore Associates are like her extended family, and so I think it just meant the company meant so much to them personally, and, and particularly to her. Because I would say um, the things that she kept and that she collected really kind of became the seed collection for the archives, and and uh, again, most of it is um, you know the. the Public-facing, either foundational of the company's history or public-facing marketing literature, and you know things like that. Um, we don't tend to keep a lot of um, intellectual property, or legal, or um, financial materials, or anything like that. Um, so the things that you know we've collected are the things that um, you know spoke to the development of the company and that made it out there into the world and, and could sort of show you know the, the breadth of the impact and the scope of you know, how people interacted with us. Um, But as far as the the archives go, um, so I came in, you know, a couple years after sort of the the formal effort had started. Um, But my understanding was that um, Bob Gore, who who had been in Cortex, he was the the son of our two founders. um, He had done some oral histories at the Chemical Heritage Foundation in, in Philadelphia. It's now the Science History Institute. And they'd encouraged him to say, you know, you know, companies should really keep hold of their history. You should really think about archiving them and whatnot. And um, so that was kind of that was in the early 2000s. And so I think that was sort of you know, running in his mind. And, and by the time the 50th 50, 50 came along, and you know, the company was trying to figure out, you know, the things to um, to do to, to commemorate it, um, Bob uh, wrote a book for the associates. It was an, an internal book, and he obviously needed a lot of. He did do a lot of research. He had a lot of materials. Um, and so the first archivist with Gore was really hired as an intern to digitize materials for, for Bob's book. Um, and then, as the the 50th went along, there was, you know, like I said, a space in one of our buildings. Um, and um, the family wasn't quite sure what to do with a lot of uh, Mrs. Gore's materials that she had kept related to the company. Um, and so there was kind of this thought, I think, even in the family that, you know, there, there might be a, maybe we should preserve this within the company for the company. And then, you know, the actual mechanics of, of building the archives, like I said, it kind of it grew out of this person that was digitizing materials um, for Bob's book. Um, and then we contracted with a company called The, the History Factory um, that, um they do a lot of corporate archiving and things like that, but they also help corporations you know, celebrate anniversaries. And so there was this discovery project um, that went out um, to all associates to say, you know, Hey, lend us, you know, historically significant items that, that you have, you know, things related to the company that I you know, think are important that we should celebrate and that we should share. And so a lot of that came in. And so then that person that was digitizing um, materials for Bob's book also wound up collecting and, and managing this, collection of stuff that was coming in from associates all around the world. Um, And after the the festivities of the the anniversary, um, you know, Goro kind of decided, you know what, maybe we should have an archive, maybe we should try to keep these things permanently. And so um, my colleague was actually hired a year, she was hired a year before me um, to help manage Particularly some of those object collections that had came that had come in from you know the, the history factory discovery program, and um, reached out to the people who had submitted them and said, "Hey, can we keep these? We're, we're establishing a core archive. We'd like to to keep them and preserve them you know in perpetuity and, and whatnot. Um, and so it really kind of started there. You had sort of the, the family's seed collection, and then you had the materials that had come in from the uh, 50th anniversary. And then, it, and then it grew from there. And a lot of it was uh, from then sort of word of mouth. You know, people would hear about us and they'd donate stuff to us. Um, it took a while to, and there's still a lot of people at Gore that I don't know know that we have an archive even internally. Um, but a lot of outreach to then continue to build the collection. And then you get, the, you know, the certain people that, you know, are kind of hoarders in a way and they've kept all of this stuff. And then they, they you you connect with them and then they give you all their stuff and that, you know that's really great And then you get this windfall of, of materials and, and whatnot um but but yes that's how it happened i would say it's know the both the the event itself and i think the the dedication and awareness of um the family to to want to preserve this material and, and to to find an importance of it
0: right No, I I think that's great. Um, that just a couple more thoughts, um, and then, and then we'll wrap up, but, um, where, where do you see the future of the archive? Um, and I guess what, what gets you up in the morning, what excites you about um, the work that you're doing and, and where it's going?
1: Yeah. So, um, I certainly would like to think that the future is bright. One of the things, um, that, um, I'm looking forward to hopefully in the post COVID world is, uh, so I actually, I'm, I'm based in London right now in the United Kingdom. Uh, my wife, uh, got a job here, um, back in January. So we moved over, uh, but because we a global company, um, I was fortunate enough that they are allowing me to work remote from London. Um, and I'm, I'm now attached to one of our UK facilities. We have two facilities up in Scotland. Um, But, you know, we have also some major manufacturing centers uh, in Bavaria, in Germany, as well as in uh, Shenzhen, China, and in Japan as well. Um, And, of course, sales offices all over the place throughout Europe and um, Asia, even South America. we also have, in addition to the Newark, Delaware, Cecil County, Maryland cluster where our headquarters is, we also have a large cluster uh, primarily devoted to our medical division out in Flagstaff, Arizona. So we have a, a pretty wide footprint Now, our our collection—the bulk of our um, collection—has been uh, U.S. kind of U.S.-centric. We do have some global materials, but they're not particularly well represented. And even when we think about, you know, historically the development of Gore-Tex fabrics, say, we have a pretty good idea of how that happened in the United States and who the key customers were. Not necessarily as much in Europe or in Asia. So, you know, one goal I think going forward and maybe here in Europe would be a help to that is to start to grow that collection. I don't know if that means we would have an auxiliary collection here in Europe uh, that's more accessible to European associates or whether it would be a collecting effort and everything gets sent back to the U.S. You know, we obviously don't know that, but that's sort of my vision is to start now expanding the the global footprint of of the archives. And in terms of, you know, what excites me about it, I think, um, I think I really like the fact that, um, you know, I'm not just sitting in a room processing materials, you know, that stuff has to get done. And sometimes, you know, we, we fight over the fact that we don't have enough time to do that kind of stuff. But I think the fact that people are using us and, and want to know more, um, is, is really key. And, and they, and for lots of different purposes, it could be for an internal associated, then it could be for, um, you know, and a customer event or, you know, a, a project or something like that and to be able to provide materials to somebody for so many different reasons. And, uh, oftentimes to see them be kind of surprised that, you know, what we've got and what we can do. Um, you know, I, I certainly really like that. And I think not only on the product side, but also just on the, the, business corporate side you know we have a lot of materials related to course corporate culture and how that's been fostered over the years how it's evolved how it's changed and there are a lot of um, associates involved in um helping to maintain and, and steward that kind of culture especially as we get older and some of the people that lived it and grew up with it are you know are going away the archives has become kind of a in many ways sort of a proxy of that a way to kind of um continue the, the, the traditions and the way of working and philosophies that um, our founders had. And so I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be involved in that as well and to be able to help um, not necessarily steer policy or steer philosophies or anything like that, but, you know, the, the fact that people will come to us and say, Hey, we want to make sure that the things that we're doing um, for, you know, our customers, for our associate experience and, and, for things like that, for our brand in general, um, is in the spirit of. How Ugor ha- has been what our identity has been. And so that we can, um, you know, show that and demonstrate that and use our collections to, um, further that and and make sure that Gore stays tied to its roots. Um, I think is, uh, is really kind of something special that, you know, um, not a lot of people get to do so. Right. Um, it, well,
0: definitely is a, a unique opportunity, a unique career. Um, but but uh, it's just it it's for me just the little that I've done in the archiving space. It's it's so fulfilling. I feel like the work that I've been able to be a part of. It's you're helping preserve something that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with or aware of, or you know, or without you, it wouldn't. Um, Be preserved, or it wouldn't be in a place where it can be appreciated. Um, And then to see people use it is, I think, the the really fulfilling part. Um, One last thought, and then I'll let you go. But you know, when we initially scheduled this, um, you know, well, we had scheduled this. I feel like a few weeks ago we had talked about um, um, recording some kind of an oral history with you and talking to you about about your work. and then Bob Gore had passed, um, just, just, I feel just a few weeks ago, um, you know, just really after we had talked about scheduling this. Um, and so I, I couldn't go through this interview without mentioning him, um, his passing and, and I, I think it was, it was really great to see the outdoor industry, kind of the overwhelming, um, tributes, um, from the outdoor industry, recognizing him and, and all of the work that he did. Um, I, I I imagine that's got to be interesting for you. I don't know how much you can say there's, there's been plenty of statements from the company. So if you needed to defer to that, let, let me know. But how, how has that been, you know, having, a, you know, someone who's so core to the company pass, what, what does that do for the archives? What, what is the the connection? What, what are you going through um, with such a significant passing?
1: So, you know, certainly um you know, as I as I said, you know, the, the gores, there's sort of a fine line between the company and the family. So, um, you know, Bob's passing, you know, a lot of people are feeling it in the organization. Um, definitely. And they're feeling it very personally because he was very involved. You know, even when he was president and CEO, even when he retired and was just chairman of the, the board, you know, you'd see him coming down the halls every now and then and he'd stop in and he'd find out what you're working on. And he'd ask very probing questions, you know, to see, you know, what you were doing and, and you know. Um he was he was very good at that and he was always very interested in uh, in everything. And even in his um, you know, last year he was he was still going around and 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 talking to people and taking an active interest. So you know from that perspective, I think you know it's almost like an end of an era in a way. I mean, a lot of people saw his parents and him you know, together as kind of a, a continuous unit in a way in terms of our founding. Um and the, the archives, from a more mechanical standpoint, you know, we um, were fortunate enough to be able to um, quickly have materials at hand, um, you know, to um, help with you know the press release that went out and to provide imagery that you know the media outlets could use, um, and uh, even really kind of fact check ahead of you know, interviews with associates and you know having the, the appropriate statements and and whatnot. Um, so, you know, that was something I think that was really key that enabled us to, to be able to act quickly. Um, but I think, you know, otherwise it is something that, um, you know, I think I personally, from a personal standpoint, um, I didn't know Bob real well, but I did have the privilege of being able to work with him um, on some projects, you know, over the last few years that I've, you know, been with Core. And um, I always appreciated how much you know, he appreciated what we were doing and appreciated the archives and appreciated you know, preserving all of this stuff. And, and he was really keen on, you know, looking at, you know, what associates are doing today and where they're going. And and since he lived so much of the company's history in his own mind, he would make connections and he would come in and say, you know, As associates need to know about this. They need to know, you know, we were here and we did this and, you know, I think newer associates need to do that. So he was, he was always looking at the future. He never wanted to look at the past or be, you know, dwell on the past, you know, Gore's a technology company and you're always wanting to be on the cutting edge, but he really valued the lessons that Gore's past and and our technology in the past could teach us. And so, um, and so I really appreciated that and appreciated that level of support. You know, not corporate archives don't always get that level of support, especially from founders of a company or CEOs of a company or, or whatnot. You know, very often they're, you know, they're, they're the nice to have or the corporate fat that's the first to get cut when, you know, times are tough. Um, and I've never felt like it's been that way at Gore. I felt like it's been uh, seen as a, um, an important resource. Um, and again, like I said, it essentially started with Bob Gore. So, um, you know, they, the, the whole company is, you know, feeling his loss right now.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, and then the industry as well. So, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that I we mentioned that and and mentioned uh, just his impact. Um, you know, yeah. I don't need. And to I should say, I think he was
1: like I said, he was part of the whole organization and and involved in the whole organization. But um, the the especially the consumer fabrics industry uh, and that part of it, I think, spelled held a special place in his heart. Particularly with right. our consumer fabrics.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. You mentioned kind of that that end of an era. Um, it, it it seems like like you said it can go. It's founders sometimes founders or or family members. You know, kind of yeah. those core members of of the company and, and leadership can either you know be um, the driving force behind the collecting and preservation or. In some cases, the some founders, you know, don't want to look at the past. Kind of like you said, you know, they they appreciate it, they they see a value in it, but they're not dwelling in it. Um, and and in some, you know, it seems like in some companies, as soon as that, you know, there's that connection is lost between, kind of those core members, um, the company could Take a few different directions right culturally, um, from a preservation perspective, you know we've seen plenty of companies that you know as soon as the company is sold off to, to some parent company, a lot of those early materials get get tossed right because there's no connection anymore and and I think that's where the work that you're doing is 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 special and and it's it's amazing to hear that the family uh, was so instrumental in creating the collection because you know w- without those those core people you know, with the company anymore, no longer here. Um, now there's institutional support, right. To continue to preserve the history and the legacy. Right. Um, whereas if that was just being, that baton was being carried forward by a family member, you know, if that family member is lost, then who, who carries that torch onward. Right. And so I think that's, that's where your work is, is especially interesting, especially valuable is, you know, there's institutional support so that you know, this history can can continue to be preserved, protected, um, appreciated. These legacies can can be um, you know, viewed and, and studied and and learned about, um, you know, uh, you know, on into the, the future. So um and I think that's that's probably a, gr- a great place to wrap it up. It's your work is so impactful, um, and I appreciate you being willing to share um, just a little bit about your day to day and what you're working on, why it's significant. Um, we could do a whole part two just on the history of the company and the family, uh, which I would love to do at some point. But uh, wanted to recognize the work that you do, and um, you know, we we want to share these stories so that other people, you know, hopefully wake up to this idea that, that the value, the importance of of preserving um, history materials and reflecting upon it. Um, so thank you for taking time. Any parting thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's, it's always nice to be asked and, and, and to, you know, talk about the things that I do. It's, it's funny when everyone, when anyone ever asks what I do for a living, I always kind of have to like a deep, take a deep breath and be like, okay, <laughs> how do I figure out the elevator speech to this? Because it's not something that, you know, a lot of people have heard of and, and, you know, um it takes a bit to you know discuss but it's definitely um, I agree with you it, it, it's worthwhile um, a lot of corporations do have archives and um, there's a there's a lot of value in it and um, I think you know the as much as anyone can do to, to encourage companies to to document what they do and uh, archive their materials, I, I think all the better because, you know, the businesses don't exist in a vacuum. So, um, you know, you're, you're chugging along doing your thing, but it's impacting other people. And, and you want to be, you want to remember that kind of stuff. You want to be aware of it. Um, and again, it's not about holding on to the past or looking at the past. I mean, like, just like I mentioned with Bob, it's about what can that past tell you about the future and, and where you're going. It's sort of maybe a, a hackneyed, thought, but it's, but it's true. It's very true. And that's one of the things that we try to do too, is it, it's about applying our past to kind of help us get to the future.
0: Right. Oh, well, that's great. Well, Kevin, thanks for taking time. It's, it's great to talk to you, um, especially during a busy time. So thank you for being willing to take some time. And I know you've got a lot going on, especially right now. So thanks for being willing to share your, your story.
1: Sure. Thank you for having me. Really
0: appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Highlander Podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found. On Highlanderbag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.